protein is not a health word. Like just because of, as a society we think protein bars are healthy, but they're not. They're like associated with people who work out. Welcome back to BTW by Emily. I am your host, Emily, the owner of Health and Body, a science-backed wellness and lifestyle brand focused on helping you sharpen your life toolbox. In today's episode, I am joined by Resist Nutrition founders, Emily and Drew, and we get into all about the making of their product, Resist Nutrition Bars, which are hormone-healthy protein bars and their journeys with becoming founders, their mental, physical, and emotional health as they founded this product, what it's been like for them, why they're so passionate about having this product on the market, and all the ins and outs of the protein bar market that competitors may not want you to know about because, by the way, the packaging of your food can be an endocrine disruptor. We are joined today with the founders of Resist Protein Bars, Emily and Drew. We wanted to talk to you guys very specifically because I know I have dealt with PCOS. Millie has dealt with PCOS. And there's probably hundreds of thousands of women now that have PCOS or are developing it and don't even know it. So your product is something that when I saw it at Expo East, I was like, we need to share this and talk about this. And I would love to hear just a lot about your personal experiences and why you guys started this company. Yeah, thank you for that intro. Love it. Perfect. (laughs) So happy to be here. I feel the exact same way. Like whenever I talk to people about PCOS or hormonal imbalances in general, definitely is so nice to have a community here. So that's, it is like the reason we made this product. I guess I'll start with my own personal story and then Emily and I can kind of trade back and forth to tell a little bit about how we made the brand. Mm -hmm. But I think this story can resonate with a lot of women out there. I was diagnosed at 18, so this is actually earlier than most women. Um, A lot of women get diagnosed when they're trying to have kids because the struggles with having kids can make people get tested. I was Um, also diagnosed at 19. Well, it's good. I mean, it's it's better to get diagnosed early in a way because then you can really start to learn before getting into worse habits for hormonal health. But yeah, diagnosed 18. I was my freshman year of college. I had a really healthy diet. My mom was always, you know, no soda, no fruit roll-ups, no candy in the house. So I already had a pretty healthy diet and was really into weightlifting. So I like, when I was diagnosed, my doctor was like, it seems like you're doing everything right. You don't really have a lot of the symptoms. You just have cysts and you don't get your period, which that's two of the qualifiers for PCOS. Um, The third one is the actual hormonal panel where you can see you're hitting the outside of the range of what is normal. So I had two of the three, which designates PCOS. And they said, just continue to do what you're doing and come back when you want to get pregnant, which is also something I've heard from a lot of other women. Is that I've heard that from so many women as well, that they're just kind of like, okay, come back one, 10 years from now and that's all we can do really do for you. Go on birth control. End of story. Yeah, birth control is this like catch-all pill that is just given to so many young women. I'd actually been on it since I was 14 mm-hmm. um, for my regular periods. They're like, great, this will regulate them. I really wish that that didn't happen because then 
when I was younger, I would have known, okay, something's clearly off. I wonder what would have happened had I dealt with my hormonal symptoms at that young age rather than just masking it with birth control and then eventually having PCOS. And at that point in time, were your periods regular or they had they gotten like irregular again and you didn't have a period and that's why you had gotten to get diagnosed? They were never regular. And when I was in college, it was honestly like a whim getting tested. Mm-hmm. My dad's a gynecologist, so oh. really comfortable with all of his partners. Yeah. Um, so one of his partners is my doctor. Mm-hmm. And I was in for like a routine, I think it was my first pap smear actually. And she was like, are you getting regular periods? And I was like, well, I'm on birth control. And she's like, when you go on your period week, do you get your period? And I was like, sometimes, even with the birth control was still kind of not mm-hmm. regular. Um, and she was like, you know what? Let's test you for PCOS. And so they took me into another room. And this was like the first time I'd actually really felt uncomfortable in that office. Mm-hmm. So I know how it must have been even more difficult for other women who they don't know their doctor as well as I know mine. And they put me in this chair in a much darker room also. I remember it being like not light in there. It was a dark room. Yeah. There was way more nurses. And they said to me, I'm going to give you a vaginal ultrasound. And I was like, Okay. The and- most traumatizing experience <laughs> literally ever. Yeah. <laughs> I you have did no not know idea what to-, what to expect. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So I was like, cool. I've seen an ultrasound on TV. I've watched Grey's Anatomy. I thought it was going to be on my stomach. Um, and then they put me in the stirrups, and I'm like, what is happening? What's and- going on? Yeah, literally, um, someone please describe what's going to happen here. But I think because they were like, they knew me, they didn't really walk me through it. I hope that they do for other patients. Um, I assume that they do, but for me, they were just kind of going through it. And like suddenly with a vaginal ultrasound, for those who don't know, it is a ultrasound wand that goes inside of you. And it is like kind of big. It is the most uncomfortable experience. Well, unless you're getting an IUD and you know, because they Mm -hmm. normally use that to guide. You have no idea what to expect when they're just like, okay, we're putting this up in you. And you're like, how is that going to fit? <laughs> and it's so cold. I had a guy do mine too, which was like so crazy because there was only a guy technician. They had a female in there too and the female doctor. But I was just like, this is so strange. Yeah. And it's like that really uncomfortable feeling. So I was like tensing up. I was like, oh my God. They told me to look at the ultrasound mm-hmm. and my ovaries were just covered in cysts. They were like, you see those little circles? I was like, yeah. And they were like, those are all cysts. I'm like, all of them? Like, it was covered. I was like, okay, that's really bad. That is super bad. Um, Anyway, so that's my, like, diagnosis story. Mm -hmm. And so after that, I was like, great, I'll just continue with what I'm doing. And so I, from there, started getting really into weightlifting, even more so than before. And this was, like, the height of the fitness influencer. I was, like, obsessed with them. I was doing all of their workout plans. I was spending so much money. Um, I bought, like, all of their, like, pre-workout and the BCAA and the, you know, all the things yeah c4 protein powder (laughs) and like all of this really like intense stuff yeah and in the next few months my skin started getting really bad Mm -hmm. and I was on Accutane in high school so I was like oh my god not again yeah this is like the worst thing that could ever happen I can't believe it's coming back I Mm -hmm. didn't relate it to the things I was eating I was like it must be just coming back since I haven't been on Accutane since high school And in high school, did they ever tell you that the acne to begin with was just probably these hormone issues or they didn't even like make that drive? So yeah, my derm did some testing on some of my Mm -hmm. acne and they were like, this is hormonal acne. I think it might be coming from food because they were like, this is the kind of acne we see associated with gluten and yeast. 
And I kind of just took that with a grain of salt. I was like, nothing ever really came of it. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of brushed it under the rug. But looking back, I'm like, oh, yeah. I mean, everybody always says that food is connected to acne. Mm -hmm. And it is so true. So, yeah, I mean, my acne started coming back. I didn't think it was anything hormonal. I just thought it was, oh, I'm someone who gets acne. And then I started uh, gaining weight despite working out more than ever. And I was like, this program's not working. It must be the program. Again, I'm like not thinking it's a PCOS. Then I start losing my hair a little bit. And I'm like, okay, that's never happened. And so this is when I start getting really suspicious. Like clumps or what was it like in that respect? It was just like when you brush your hair, I was like, Mm -hmm. what is going on? And it's like kind of that scary feeling. I was like, you know, in like horror movies. Yeah. I was like, am I dying? Yeah. You're just Uh, like, what's going on? (laughs) Why is this all falling out? Yeah, exactly. Um, And so that's when I started getting really nervous. And I went back to my doctor. And that doctor is great, but she's not like a specialist in hormones. So I went to one of the other partners at my dad's practice, who's like a triple board certified hormonal specialist. And I also talked to my dad as well. And they looked at my hormones this time, you know, my hormone panel was not normal. So now I had all three of the PCOS Mm -hmm. symptoms and they were like, what changed? And I like really couldn't pinpoint it, but eventually we found out it was the food that I was eating. And specifically these like fitness foods, like got rid of the pre-workout. I got rid of the BCA powder. Oh yeah. All the supplements. And I was eating protein bars like every day, sometimes twice a day. I was working like the New York thing that all these New York college kids do. Um, Mm -hmm. It's like fun, flirty little thing where I was working like a part-time job on the weekends. I was also doing a full-time internship and I had night classes. And you went to NYU. And I went to NYU. Yeah. I know also part of that was my cortisol was all over the place. I was not getting enough sleep. Yeah. There, there was some other hormonal issues in play there, but the food was, was definitely number one. Um, cause I'd always been the kind of person who overloads the schedule a little very yes person yeah, says yes to everything. But also that's typical for when you're in college, like you exactly. aren't sleeping normally. You aren't doing any of those things. Mm-hmm. Like you are, when you're in college, you're truly just taking advantage of all the time that you have and filling it with all of the experiences especially being here in the city like it's already overstimulating Mm -hmm. enough being here post-grad I can't imagine being here like in the height of college no yeah it was a lot it was it was certainly Mm -hmm. a lot and it took me about until junior year to really get my hormones back under control Mm -hmm. and I felt amazing and my acne went away and I had this like inflammatory response as well where my face Mm -hmm. was really swollen Mm -hmm. and I have these like pictures that we use in our in our deck when we're pitching and mm-hmm. I like hardly recognize myself because it's just like my face shape is completely yeah. different from swelling and bloating because yeah. I was having this really inflammatory response to all of the sugar alcohols and chemicals and like really low quality whey protein that mm-hmm. was in all the supplements I was taking. Mm-hmm. So when I got back from, you know, study abroad, it was my like end of junior year. I was feeling great, but I was back to my busy, crazy schedule. And I was trying my best to include a lot of the kinds of foods we associate with healthy hormones and healthy blood sugar, which is like high in healthy fats, high Mm -hmm. in fiber, high in protein, and like making sure you have these well-balanced meals and sticking to complex carbs that have, you know, added proteins and healthy fats in order to like keep that blood sugar stable. I tried to do that as much as possible, but with that schedule, I just, I really felt like I needed a bar or something on the go. And I was so hard to eat a hormone-friendly diet when you are in college or graduate school. Like I, that is something I struggle with on a daily basis is making the time to make those healthy balanced meals because it's taking the time and effort to do it. And even if you meal prep, even if you do these things, like it's still, you have to assemble, you have to eat in a certain way for your blood sugar spikes. It's all a whole mix of things. 
just a question before we keep going when you were abroad were you able to eat normally and like freely and like weren't seeing these changes in hormones as much as compared to like when you're eating here in the U.S.? Yeah. You know, at that point I had already been, my hormones were really, they were healthy and under control Mm -hmm. at that point. I knew how to eat. Mm -hmm. So I really stuck to a like diet that was really high in fiber, really high in like omega-3s and a lot Mm -hmm. of fish, no red meat really. I I knew how to add healthy fats and protein to Mm -hmm. like no naked carbs and, you Mm -hmm. know, complex carbs. At that point, like there was no difference between like that whole year, you know, as long as those meals were really balanced, I didn't notice a difference when I moved for study abroad than mm-hmm. when I was in New York, mm-hmm. since like the meals kind of stayed the same. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I wish I had a better answer there. I'm not one of those people who saw like an insane difference when I moved yeah. abroad. But in terms of your diet too, like just getting more specific of what they told you, can you get like a little bit more in detail of the diet that they told you to follow to get back on track? Yeah. So it's like a adjusted Mediterranean diet. Mm-hmm adding in a little more protein and a little less refined carbs. Mm -hmm. So for me, like a good example meal would be like salmon, like wild caught salmon and a lot of olive oil with broccoli and some roasted veggies and maybe some like mashed cauliflower or a sweet potato toast, Mm -hmm. um, something like that. So you have like some healthy carbs, healthy fats, Mm -hmm. fiber from the veggies, and like a good amount of protein. Mm -hmm. It's hard to get a lot of protein in your diets. Like I totally get it. But like for every meal, I try to get like 15 to 40 grams of protein per meal and a lot of healthy fats. I mean, that is something that I can talk about forever. Like healthy fats was such a game changer. We love fats in this space. We love fats. Yeah, fats are the best. They truly Um, are. I have so much olive oil in a day. Like... Same. I feel like, Emily, you could talk also about, like, the, what makes the perfect meal. Emily, I don't know if we said this before, but Emily is in her last semester in the food studies program at NYU Steinhardt. So she's kind of the resident expert on all things meals food. and recipe, and I'm going to hand it over to her. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what to say to that. I mean, we love olive oil for the polyphenols. I actually recently had a bad night sleeping, just took a spoonful of olive oil, and I've never had the best night of sleep. It was such a game changer. I guess it kept my blood sugar stable. I've heard this before. Unreal. Yeah. Like, unreal. Woke up amazed. I was wondering, did you guys ever have any like disordered eating? Because I found it very hard to, whenever I'm eating like a Mediterranean diet, like being from Europe, like that's the style of eating that we had in my family. But with all of this high protein style of eating that came up as we like grew up with social media and stuff, it's very hard to get that protein in, like you said. So how did you do that? Like which food groups, and especially with like disordered eating, I find it hard to like, okay, I want to have more protein in through, I don't know, eggs, chickpeas, peanut butter, whatever. But with that comes additional calories. So I'm like, oh my God, I'm freaking out. Am I overeating? Am I eating too many calories and all of that? So (laughs) I have a history of disordered eating. I studied abroad in Australia and it was too easy. I was always in bathing suits, so it was too easy to not overthink that. Mm -hmm. So I severely cut down how much I was eating and I I just did not feel good and then lost a lot of weight. When I got home, I was eating my normal amount, like the same as a 12-year-old boy, felt fine. And then recently, through my own hormonal imbalance journey, post-birth control, I got my ID out and literally overnight woke up in a whole new body, 
like new body weight on me and it just I cannot lose it I've done everything I've gone back to not eating as much I've done a reverse diet where you're just stuffing yourself with food and that was when I really had to up my protein I was working with a health coach and like I was not forced but on this program they worked you up to I think 2500 calories which was something I've never done and also just I didn't feel good like I was just eating more than my body needed so through this like low low and this high high amount of calories I'm definitely not at peace with food just because I don't look how I want to quite yet and we're girls and like it's just so hard culturally but I've really just come to learn like food is what fuels you you need food to get through the day and this idea that like women shouldn't eat it's just that's not how our bodies work we need food and so I'm getting comfortable with eating to the extent that you feel full and that you know you can carry on through the day because when I'm hungry, I am hangry. Like my mom will yeah. not talk to me. She'll tell me to go eat and then come back to her. Like I need food. And so it's a work in progress. And like there really is no clear cut answer unless you unfortunately go through it. But I feel like I've learned through so much through that. But I mean, at the end of the day, like you need food. You can't not eat. And it's also like the quality of the calories that you're yeah. eating versus right. quantity, in my opinion. Because if you're eating a thousand calories of McDonald's and eating a thousand calories of olive oil, it's a completely different nutrient yeah. load for your body. And that's where like healthy fats, at least for me, like again, with the hormone imbalances and the PCOS, have also been starting to incorporate so much more fat, which before when I had like really disordered eating, I was like fat. Like, I can't eat more than one avocado a day. Like, that's too many calories. (laughs) Um, But now I'm, like, dousing all my things in olive oil because it's so, like, especially for your skin, for your everything. You see so many effects Mm -hmm. from choosing foods that fuel you the right way and for your own body, too. Because with hormone imbalances and everything that you were saying, I completely get it, too. And going through that, it's also hard because something I experienced with hormone imbalances was that I just wasn't hungry because I was like so over like high cortisol just so stressed mm-hmm. so in the mornings yeah. I would wake up not be hungry wouldn't eat till the middle end of the day and then at that point it would be like hangry right. so yeah. you stuff your face and yeah. like eat and that doesn't feel good either because no, then you're no. just like bloated yeah you have shame you have guilt you have all of these like uncomfortable feelings on top of the fact that you're already feeling like so full but it truly is like it's such a hard journey to get at peace with food, especially when you feel like food's been betraying you for so long. Yes. And like... That's such a great way to put it. Yeah, because like Betrayal. I... It, it's true. It like literally is like... And it's something I have had to like work through is it's not the food. It's I guess it does come down just like to your relationship with yourself. But like at the end of the day, you need food. You need to fuel mm-hmm. yourself, especially fuel. if you're mm-hmm. working out. Like... That's a whole other thing. Like I have in going through this hormone journey, like have had to adjust working out so much. And I'm sure like with PCOS, when you first get diagnosed, it's hard to keep up with high intensity workouts because of the toll it takes on your body. Yeah, I mean, there's so much to unpack here. I love what you said about like the betrayal of food. I felt the same way with my PCOS. Like I was like, my body's betraying me. Why? I'm so upset. Like, why can't my body just work normally? Why can I do all the same things as my friends and not see the same results? (laughs) Like, and this, this intense desire to be smaller. And I do think growing up in Florida and when you were talking about Australia and being in a bikini, I was like, oh yeah. Like I look back at the outfits that I would wear 
And I was like, this was so small. And at the time I was like, out of my friends, I think I was dressing the most conservatively. And even then, like, you're just comparing yourself to other people. It's so difficult not to. And at the time I was like, I'm just being logical. Like logically and objectively, I'm just bigger than them. So I need to get smaller. And like, I know that a big part of that was just growing up. And now it's it's so much better with the kind of role models we're seeing and, you know, integration of people of all sizes into marketing and models and, you know, what, what we just daily see, whether that's media or print. Back then, it was mostly people who all looked the same. Clothes didn't fit me. I never felt like I could fit into a pair of jeans. I would say I hated pants. I never Same. wore pants. Same. Now I say I hate shorts because I'm I like, <laughs> I can't. If my thighs are rubbing together, I'm so unhappy. Like, Literally. Can't handle it. It hurts. Yes. <laughs> it does. And it's just like all of these things that I'm happy that now, like, there's platforms, obviously, like TikTok and Instagram, that are talking so much mm-hmm. more about hormonal health. And I was listening to this podcast, actually, and they were talking about how the health trend. For next year so probably at expo west and east like mm-hmm. all of the food next year is probably going to be like hormone friendly like that's the new marketing yeah I mean, where it's going we, oh we have so much to say about that <laughs> okay like, so i'm ready for you guys to unpack this yes. and like share so this story we gave the background but now how did this come into like how did you guys meet like how did what's the founding story here yeah okay so i think i got back into eating protein bars mm-hmm. and Busy schedule. Busy schedule. Back to eating protein bars. I knew. In the grind of New York City. Oh, yeah. Busy culture for sure. Girl bossing. Too hard. Girl Too close to the sun. Too close to the sun. Oh, way too close to the sun. And I was like, (laughs) it's like I had forgotten what had happened. I felt so comfortable. I definitely, I also had some disordered eating problems and terrified of unhealthy foods. And I, if I had a donut, I would have five donuts because like I felt like I had ruined the day. Literally. And I would just like, I had a binge eating problem, clearly. But it was all, but it's like all or nothing when you're in that mentality. So I totally relate to that as well. Right, totally. And so kind of the same thing happened with me and my protein bars. I went back to eating them and I just felt like it was going to be fine. I, my hormones were doing really well. I felt great. My workouts were, you know, back to where I wanted them to be. Like definitely with weightlifting, like you can tell when you don't feel strong. And so I, I was feeling great and probably a little overconfident, started going back to the protein bars. And in the back of my mind, probably knew they wouldn't make me feel very good. And the same exact thing happened. And I was devastated. And it probably would have kept going on if the pandemic hadn't happened. So definitely was was still in that grind. I was also working at a place where they gave out these protein bars for free. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to name it. You can bleep it out. But it was Quest Bars. <laughs> yeah. But the sugar alcohols. Yes, exactly. So you're dealing with these sugar alcohols. And a big thing that we talked about when we first were making this brand was there's so much research behind the negative gut effects and even carcinogenic effects of these sugar alcohols, especially when you heat them up. Mm. And one thing that Quest does (laughs) (laughs) is is they recommend that their customers microwave or bake their bars into cookies. Yeah. No, it's the thing oh to God. just stick them in the microwave and they so like kind of melt and they're a little gooey. Interesting. I, I never like knew that. I feel like some people definitely keep the wrappers on too when they do it. And I'm like, this is just. Oh my God. In yeah. The microwave? Yeah. Oh my exactly. But like the chemical, that is literally exactly. like chemicals and chemicals. And chemicals. Yeah. But as a consumer, if you're not informed in any sort of capacity, like the marketing geniuses of the world will get you because all yes. of these bars, Cliff, like Quest, RX bars even to a certain degree, like all of them are marketed to make you think that they're healthy. Yeah. yeah. And so good for you. 
And I think that's a big issue that we're trying to tackle is that, like, protein is not a health word. Like, just because, of, I don't know, as a society, we think protein bars are healthy. But because they're not. they're, like, associated with people who work out. And I think, like, people who've done bodybuilding competitions can tell you this firsthand. That's not necessarily healthy. And I'm, when they're moving back from, you know, being in competition mode, are like, that's not sustainable. And even though, you know, they're the types of people who are eating these kinds of bars, a lot of them are more fitness oriented and maybe don't have that nutrition background to be able to talk about all of those ingredients that are going into those bars. Oh yeah, and one of my best friends actually just competed in a bodybuilding competition and she was sending me like her meal plans and all of that. And a lot of the time it's shifting to like being meals that it's just like rice, chicken, broccoli. Yeah. That's your meal mm-hmm. six times a day, that's it. And it's shifting away from the narrative of protein bars, but it's still not sustainable. I've seen her like pre-competition and post-competition and everything that's done to not only like her mental health, but like getting back to a, the size that her body normally would want to be. And how you do that, your relationship with food is so disordered after Mm -hmm. competing in a competition like that. And that's what a lot of people don't see behind the media of everything. Like you see the air Instagram profiles, you see the workout videos, you see these things, but you're not seeing them sitting at home struggling and being like, I don't look the same. Like I want to be back to my leanest self, even though I know it's not sustainable. It's not like she lost her period in that process. Now she has it back, but she completely lost it for months. Like, that's not sustainable, especially as a female. Right. And it's an indicator of poor hormone health. And it's definitely, hormone health is not something that is taken care of in the fitness industry, which is another reason why these protein bars are just not designed for holistic health, nor are they designed with women's nutrition in mind. No, they're totally designed mostly for men. Yeah. And by men. By men for women for weight loss. Yeah. Yeah, it's fear-mongering too. It's like, you have to get smaller, you have to diet. This is all a big part of diet culture. And like, if you look at the CEOs of these major protein bar companies, most of them are men. Like I hazard to say 85% of them are run by men. Oh, of course. And most of the research too is all done done on on men. men. (laughs) We can talk about this for hours. This is something that we talk about all the time in my program because when I started going through my hormone health issues, went to my professors and was like, can you tell me like what I should be eating? And they're like, honestly, like there is not enough research on PCOS for us to even teach you guys about it right now. And I'm like, how is that a thing? Literally. Okay. It's so funny you say that. This is why I'm really hesitant to like be like, here's what I eat because I've learned my body. And that is the problem. This is really no one size fits all thing. That's why if anybody's listening out there and you see it, influencer who has PCOS and they're recommending a program or a supplement, do not just buy it blindly or buy into it blindly. I did that and I I bought a supplement. It's a lot of different companies sell it. It's called DIM. Basically helps suppress estrogens. I don't actually have extra estrogen. I have low estrogen. Same so here. it was not helpful to me at all. It actually exacerbated my symptoms. Mm-hmm. But it's recommended for hormone health and for PCOS. So really be so, so careful. One person's program is not going to work for everybody. It's, it's probably not going to work for most people because it's so tailored to how you feel and what you do. Like certain foods make me feel amazing and other foods that I'm sure are fine don't. And, yeah. you know, a lot of women with PCOS, there's multiple different types of PCOS. Mm-hmm. And I have the most common type, the insulin resistant type, which around 75% of women who have PCOS have. And so I really, my diet is probably a lot lower in carbs 
than mm-hmm. what most people's healthy diet looks like yeah. because I know my, my blood sugar is really sensitive because yeah. I've used continuous glucose monitors. I know how my body responds to different foods and I'm really lucky in that. Like there, there is a privilege to learning your body and understanding your body. 100%. You know, having access to amazing doctors who gave me a prescription to get a continuous glucose monitor. Otherwise it would have been incredibly expensive. You know, it's, there is a barrier to entry for mm-hmm. learning about your body and there really shouldn't be. It should be so much easier. I, and I talk to Melly about this all the time because on this journey, like the amount of doctors that I have gone to see and that haven't helped me at all that I've spent money on, yes. I'm just like, I'm frustrated and I'm someone who this field is so fascinating to me and I love this stuff, which is the only reason I feel like I've chased my hormone health for so long at this point because it is so expensive. And the more holistic you go, the more expensive it gets, unfortunately, because none of it is backed by insurance. So like now everything I've been doing for my hormone health, like acupuncture, lymphatic drainage, like all of these things that are so helpful, they are so expensive. It's a sad reality that that's where it comes down to in our society is like you have to have such access to privilege at this point to be able to heal your health yeah and not just privilege but information and time to learn about yourself and to test things like we're so lucky to be able to do that when there's a lot of people out there selling powders and pills and it's really just snake oil and smoke and mirrors with not a lot of testing and and that's why when you were saying like oh everything next year at expo east and west is going to be hormone healthy or hormone friendly like it's all smoke and mirrors like if you're not really going and doing testing it's a lie like if you're not using the cleanest ingredients and and knowing every single path that that ingredient took to get to you like it is so so difficult like even we sometimes struggle with how are we gonna say this mm-hmm. you know how how do other companies say these things and get away with it like we try to be as careful as possible with the way that we phrase you know the way that we speak about our products because we don't want to mislead anybody food marketing is a whole part two we have to do because <laughs> i have so many thoughts on oh gosh, just yeah. like the mm-hmm. evil genius that food marketers have in their back pockets at these major huge companies is just insane to me. Oh, definitely. Like, I mean, one thing we talked about packaging really briefly, but one thing that we do that like no other company is really talking about might be doing, but I don't think so is really focusing on our food contact materials. Mm -hmm. So making sure that there's no BPA, no PFAS, no phthalates or any other hormone disrupting chemicals in our packaging means that despite temperature changes or our food, the protein bars itself touching the inside of the packaging, there's no chemical leaching. So honestly, even as a consumer, I would never have even thought about that as part of the process. Right. So I can't imagine going to Expo West or East and watching these companies pay extra, which is what we're doing, for better packaging, which will, you know, raise their prices and make it more expensive for them. I can't imagine them doing that, but I can imagine them saying that it's hormone friendly and never even thinking about their packaging. And like, In some ways, I'm like, I don't know how much they know. You know, it could be entirely innocuous and innocent and they just don't know about these packaging developments or don't know about the studies that are related to the, you know, personal care items and and packaging and all these chemicals and our toxic load. And maybe they just don't know. You're more of an optimist than I am (laughs) in that respect. Because I'm I'm the realist. I wear all black. She wears colors. (laughs) I just like truly something we're trying to balance yeah Yeah, like I truly I I mean I definitely feel like Emily's share perspective on this one that I feel like they totally know and they just don't care they know they don't care they know that they can make money off of it at the cheapest expense on their end yeah right and I think it's like I feel really protective over the hormone health community I feel like 
I went through so much. Like it took me five years to yeah. really get everything under control. Like, and in starting this company has been amazing not just to like give other people the blessing of, of making it easier to eat on the go for your hormones and your blood sugar, but also for myself and just hearing other people's stories and feeling less alone. And like, we're really trying to build a community here yeah. of, you know, other people who understand this and yeah. want to protect this community. And like, that's why I'm like, I hope these companies aren't just calling themselves, you know, PCOS friendly or hormone friendly or diabetic friendly when they're really not. Like a good example of this is, again, you can believe out the name Cliff Bar. Oh, they're low GI and they can call themselves low GI because they did GI testing and the actual requirements for minimum amount of net carbs or sugar to be considered low GI is actually pretty high. And I'm sure there is some, you know, corporate answer to that and why, you know, the GI certification is so easy to get. Similarly, you know, these other certifications, it seems like there's not that much barrier to to get Mm -hmm. them or like oversight. Um, But for that, I'm like, if I had that, And I was wearing my continuous glucose monitor. I mean, it has over 30 grams of carbs, net carbs, and plus sugar. So, I mean, I'm sure my blood sugar would go up like double, probably. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, it's just the marketing is is pretty insane. And I just, I don't want this community to get taken advantage of. Like, I think back to when I was just at the beginning of my PCOS journey. And I didn't know anything. And I was buying into everything. Oh, yeah. It's just, I I don't want anybody to have to go through that. No, and I, I can relate because it's also taken me five years like now i'm i got diagnosed going into my sophomore year of college and it was fine for a while i did like gluten-free dairy-free probably that whole first summer like did more low intensity exercise and it was pretty balanced Mm -hmm. for about two and a half years then i got into grad school gained 30 pounds in two months and has been like same thing as you like have not been able to lose the weight have now been on probably like a year journey of well yeah almost a year of like truly trying actually everything like going to acupuncture going to lymphatic yeah. drainage changing yeah. my diet completely like doing breath work meditate all the all the things because it truly at the end of the day is so all interconnected yeah and that's the thing it's a part of a much larger lifestyle like, it truly is we've had people say like oh is this like gonna cure anything is this like a supplement i was like it's food yeah, and, and there's food is powerful, but you know it's not going to cure you. It's a small part of a much larger lifestyle. If you're not sleeping and your cortisol's all over the place, and your other parts of your diet are filled with refined sugars and carbs, and you're not eating enough, the likelihood that this bar is going to make a difference in that a drop in the ocean. That's with any supplement. There's no one product that's going to magically fix this. And I think that's an important thing to share with people. There isn't at the end of the day. Like you could yeah. be taking five billion different things, but Also, most of the supplements that are out there are not for people who are super hormone dysregulated. Like if you're taking supplements like Adrenal Cortex or any of these supplements, they're all made for balanced people, not imbalanced individuals. So that's a hard thing to come to terms with too because you're getting sold all these products thinking that they're going to help you. And then at the end of the day, they're not even formulated for you. Well, that's the thing is that there are a lot of these Band-Aid products where they're targeting people who do have imbalanced hormones, but they don't know your hormone panel. They don't know what you need and what you don't need. Kind of what happened to me, you know, it ends up hurting more than it helped. You kind of need to get a personalized plan. And to really understand that, you you have to go to a doctor and get a full hormone panel. 
And with either of you on your hormone health journey, did they ever recommend like metformin and all that side? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Um, I I was recommended metformin um, and spironolactone. And so I ended up going with spironolactone because of what I read about it um, helping acne. And that was like my, you know, despite everything else, I I really focused on that since it was such a sore spot for me. And knowing that it also might help that made me go on it. I don't want to say I don't recommend it for everyone. I'm sure there are some people out there who might find it beneficial, but it gave me dizzy spells and I couldn't drink a drop of alcohol which may or may not have been a good thing. Um, but I, I couldn't drink anything because I would immediately like fall asleep or totally black out. Like after one glass of wine, it was really scary. That is um, really scary. Yeah, so it's a diuretic and that's part of it. Mm-hmm. I'm naturally like a dehydrated person as well, <laughs> which is also, it, it's actually a symptom of PCOS, dry skin, you know, ADHD flaky scalp. Too. Yes. Which so, is so crazy to me that that's so that connected. Happened. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm convinced I have ADHD, but I'm like, I don't want to pay for testing. I know I don't want to go on ADHD medication. And at the end of the day, it's just more so like of a symptom based off of like how your hormones are, which is so crazy that, I mean, ADHD in general is just way underdiagnosed in women. But then on top of Mm -hmm. that, when you're having these hormone issues and you're seeing that that's a result, I'm like, I never have felt this way before. And then now I'm going to school and I'm like, why is this so much harder than it used to be? I mean, all these comorbidities, they're so scary. And I mean, we're really seeing chronic illnesses and hormonal problems grow within the past few years. When I was first diagnosed, the statistic on PCOS was one in 10 women. And now it's one in five. Wow. Um, So, you know, that is probably has to do with a lot of women learning about their hormones from social media and wanting to feel better and knowing Mm -hmm. that this shouldn't be the normal. Mm -hmm. People going off of birth control Mm -hmm. and recognizing symptoms faster. And there might also be a little bit of environmental factors. Can't say for sure, but there are some studies on the environmental factors um, that could lead to hormonal imbalances, like personal care products, including ingredients that are hormone disrupting or reproductive Mm -hmm. disrupting. And that's why like California is really taking the lead on this as far as the states with Prop 65 where companies have to put a warning on their website that basically says it contains chemicals that can cause reproductive harm. Or carcinogenic. I I also think they have one for carcinogenic. I mean, in the States, even that is like bare minimum. Europe is doing a little bit better. We follow pretty closely the food packaging forum, Mm -hmm. mostly because that is our sector. Um, But Europe is, is much far ahead as far as banning these chemicals that can cause endocrine problems. So these endocrine disrupting chemicals is like, I think, gonna be a huge conversation in the next few years, especially since if there are any men listening who watch or listen to Joe Rogan, oh yeah, this became like a kind of viral moment when Dr. Shauna Swan, who wrote this amazing book called Countdown, and she studies reproductive health, but she kind of got viral over her research on sperm count and how mm. sperm count is declining in men. You're shaking your head, you know? Yeah. yeah, I mean, the men freaked out. The men were like, wait, we have to think about hormone health too? Yeah. And so it's also been a conversation we've had before with, we have men who buy our product. It's about 80-20 for oh, tw- with 20% buying yeah, men. Because men are starting to realize that hormone health is just as important to them. And with sperm counts, like apparently all sperm is going to be gone in like 20 no, it's like, it's not a lot of Yeah, I mean, it, it's because of most likely some of these environmental factors causing reproductive harm. And now men are starting to see the effects of that earlier in life when, you know, they might have only seen that later in life. But yeah, it's it's definitely a genderless problem. And we, of course, have, like, it's close to my heart. This product was originally made 
with people with PCOS, endometriosis, PMS, women who are, you know, breastfeeding or pregnant. It was made for holistic hormone health. And along the way, we found that men also are looking for holistic hormone health. Additionally, di- people with diabetes. What goes inside the bars? Like, so what does the ingredients look like? How did you guys formulate? So we pride ourselves on our combination of plant protein, healthy fats, high fiber, and adaptogens and spices like cinnamon and maca that are really good for your hormones and blood sugar. So we use a nut butter base, whether it's almond butter or peanut butter, a blend of plant protein fiber and then our balance bar has cinnamon and maca as mentioned the glow bar has chia seeds acerola cherry and goji for the vitamin c benefits and that's why we called it glow and then the recovery has turmeric of course the black pepper because that's great for fighting inflammation so just the strong healthy fat fiber plant protein base our products are made in the u.s we like work with a manufacturer right in the u.s in in jersey and we like toyed with the idea of using a commercial kitchen, but it's much harder to get like FDA certifications and things like that. Mm-hmm. And you also have to hand package them. We wanted a very sleek look for the bars. So mm-hmm. we ended up going with a co-packer in Jersey. And what is a co-packer? It's basically a co-manufacturer. So okay. we work together to make a product okay. um, and we basically use their machinery. Okay. So it's this industrial size machinery to help us mix the bars, mix the material and package it up. Um, and are you guys there like in the manufacturing facility or their workers are there doing the actual mixing and operating the machinery? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. We go in just because we like to have like a more hands-on experience and like get more involved Mm -hmm. um, and taste the product as it's coming out for QA, quality assurance. It's a really exciting space to be in to have that hands-on experience when a lot of other companies like as you grow and get bigger, like don't really have that personal touch um, just because of time and they're focusing on other things yeah when for us we want to make sure that everything is really detailed and we're making sure in every part of the process from packaging to ingredients to getting it into the the right people's hands to like the way that we even talk about it is Mm -hmm. like totally aligned with our mission Mm -hmm. and that's why like even we're like offsetting our carbon emissions we also you know use eco-friendly packaging we're switching over to fully compostable oh my god home compostable too home compostable (laughs) (laughs) so if you have a Because a lot of compostable material has to go to an industrial facility, which doesn't really exist in the best ways. So in New York, like the Union Square drop-off, that is home compostable, not industrial. So having home compostable makes all the difference. And then going back to the co-packer thing real quick, we've been recommended to use dates for the texture, but we just don't want to use dates. It's full of sugar and carbs and can spike your blood sugar. So again, just being as hands-on and involved to make our product what we want it to be versus what people are telling us it should be has really been a key to the whole business. I wish there was another analogy for this. Sticking to our guns, but like, let's fill guns with like something else. Sticking to our ovaries. (laughs) We love that. And this was your junior year that you guys started this or when did it officially no. like when did from concept to like actually manufacturing the bars what was oh, that yeah process? so my part-time job that I mentioned before was at a gym okay um, I worked at Orange Theory if you're familiar so when you mentioned high intensity workouts I was like oh boy do I know <laughs> do you know yeah so um definitely I had quite high cortisol at the time I'm sure and I was working at that gym I wanted a better protein bar mm-hmm. I knew what I needed but uh there was none out there so mm-hmm. it was the idea popped up in my junior year 
when I started working there, but I was like, oh, I hope someone else makes that because I was at the time working, thought I wanted to be in the entertainment industry. So I was working at a talent agency, which is why I was working these like crazy hours. That was going to be part of my next question. If you guys want to touch on that, like what you were doing in school at the time, like was being a founder in your cards ever? No, accidental founder for sure. On my end, on my end. But, um, do you want to talk about what you're a theater kid on our hands. (laughs) (laughs) I was, yeah. So I thought I wanted to be an actor, which is how I ended up in New York. Back, backstory. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I thought I wanted to be an actor, went to Tisch, um, to pursue that halfway through. I was like, this is not super fun anymore. I don't think I want to do it professionally. Mm -hmm. I'm like, maybe in the future I'll do like community theater. I think that would be a fun thing. But I realized that halfway through I started doing journalism and my beat was, um, food. And so I interviewed food founders and I reviewed restaurants, which was what I thought I wanted to do for a little bit. And I also, you know, wrote about food items, like kind of what we we make. And so kind of through all of that, I was like, maybe I'll be a writer. Combine the two things I like to do, which is, you know, journalism, writing, and, you know, entertainment industry, acting, and maybe I'll write for movies or TV. And so that's why I started working in the talent space. Mm -hmm. I worked at a production agency. And then when the pandemic happened, my job offer got rescinded and... They went on a hiring freeze and I was like, okay, so if I'm not going to be working there, what am I going to do? And I went back to this original idea that I had, went to the NYU Entrepreneurial Lab and was like, what if I have this idea? What's the next step? And they were like, well, that's so amazing that they even have a lab for that. Wait, that's so great. I know. It's like a blessing. Like I truly think there's no accidents. There's no coincidences in this life. I think it was meant to be. Mm-hmm. And when I had that call, they were like, you know, get on our Slack, sign up for our newsletter, meet with a coach. And literally through that Slack channel, I met Emily. And it was a match made in heaven. She was like, I put something really vague in the Slack channel. I was like, are you interested in hormones? Question mark. Do you like protein bars? Question mark. Please email me. I'm starting a new project. And I'd love to do this NYU program if you think that'd be interesting. And Emily was the second person who reached out. She had this really cute little personal statement. <laughs> she was like, I'm the oat milk mint chocolate chip ice cream in a world of vanilla. Oh my God. <laughs> Moringa chocolate, like cacao nibs. Yeah. Throw that in. and I was like I love her (laughs) I was like she's perfect um and so she is the vision people yeah and then yeah I mean I think about that all the time because if I hadn't met Emily I really don't know if I would still be doing this because it's really hard out here as a woman founder Millie's my isotope and if I didn't have like the proper team then we wouldn't be doing this that's for freaking sure I truly believe that it was meant to be and I like to believe that there's a cosmic purpose behind my life a little and I've always wanted this product and the idea that we're on this like mission to make like eating for your hormones and eating for your blood sugar easier for people so that they don't have to go through what we went through is like it's so near and dear to my heart and I just I love this community and truly believe in this product and we wouldn't be doing it if we didn't love it and know that it was something really special. So what did you study? I want the full details. Yes. So I went to a liberal arts school, sociology, whatever. But when I studied abroad in Australia, I had my whole eating thing. That was when I really got into nutrition and health and wellness. Mm-hmm. And so I got home and I don't really know how it all started, but I started listening to podcasts. Mm-hmm. And I truly owe everything to my podcast. There were four And, like, those were life-changing. I really just started to learn so much about food. Will you name drop them? Yeah. For our listeners. Obviously, Mind Body Green, Dr. Mark Hyman, Max Lugavere, and then sometimes Kelly Levesque, sometimes Ben Greenfield. Love Ben Greenfield. It has since grown, but 
those three, four were my establishment. And I just found it so fascinating. I was raised without red meat. Then I stopped eating chicken turkey. So I've always been aware of food. And like we used to have whole wheat sandwiches with turkey and pesto and sun-dried tomatoes. Like food has always been present in my life. And I just got down this rabbit hole and really enjoyed it. Then post-college, I worked for two food startups in the health and wellness sustainability space. And then I just, like I started learning too much. I couldn't unlearn and I just found it so fascinating. And so I decided to go to NYU to get my master's in the food studies program. So really focusing on nutrition, sustainability, entrepreneurship. And through that, I was also in the NYU entrepreneurship Slack channel. Drew said all the right words at all the right times. I was going through my own hormonal imbalance story post-birth control. And so just hormones were top of mind. I never saw myself as a founder, but I've always loved the food startup space and so being able to be hands-on and really seeing something grow has been something that I've just always wanted to be a part of and how has your physical and mental health changed since starting this company because being a founder isn't easy you're and how has like your work-life balance been with like still managing your health obviously leaving this company that's so mission driven mm-hmm and then actually accomplishing the work of like carrying out orders and fulfilling packages and doing all of the things that takes running the company. Therapy. <laughs> oh, yes. We're both in therapy <laughs> and we both take time out of the day for our therapy. And honestly, I think that that is huge. And I think that we both just respect our own spaces and our own social lives because I think we do value how important it is to have a space to have a mental break from this. So really recognizing that work-life balance. I work out first thing in the morning just to get everything out of the way. I don't know if you guys have ever been to Charlie Street or listened to Jan Churchill's podcast, but he likes to say control the controllable. Mm-hmm. And I really stand by that. Therapy's been good though. Oh, I just love my therapist. Um, love definitely, them. yeah. If anyone in the listening audience is thinking of becoming a founder, I think therapy is something you should start before you start a business. It is like birthing something. It's it's literally bringing something that wasn't there before into the world. And it is such a crazy tough process. Definitely lots of imposter syndrome and, you know, rejection. Definitely grateful for my theater experience for teaching me how to take rejection. Um, And also grateful to have someone who we check in on each other as well. Like we do make sure that we're having a work-life balance. It's hard because, you know, Emily's finishing out her master's degree. I still work freelance to pay the bills as yeah. we build this business. So, like, we're, we're, we're truly bootstrapped small business at this point. Um, obviously mm-hmm. growing. We're fundraising right now. So it's, it's growing and we're getting there. But, yeah, managing kind of my second part-time job and, and my full-time job, which is Resist, it does take a lot of brain power. And, you know, I think another little tip – that is amazing that I that I do all the time. And I think you also do this too, is going for a walk after a meal and just breaking up the day a little, like the ADHD thing. I, uh-huh. I time map like my whole day uh-huh. and I will like work in, okay, I'll, I'll walk after my meal. Not only is it really helpful to your blood sugar to walk after a meal, but it's so good for your mental health. Like getting that vitamin D is good for your hormones. That walk is good for your, you know, your hormones. It's a really good form of LISS. Cart, you would know this. You know this over there. I don't know why I'm telling no, you this. No, no. Keep, um, telling, keep <laughs> telling the audience. We love to hear it. Yeah. So it definitely helps mentally uh, set me up for the rest of the day, especially since the second half of the day is when most of the work gets done, it feels like, especially since we will do like boxes. So it's like, you know, fulfilling orders and then we break up the rest of the day and now it's like content and this and that and I try to separate all of my freelance stuff and just like put it 
on its own timetable so that I'm not doing it when we're doing work for the business. Mm-hmm. But I think, yeah, mental health as a founder in the entrepreneurial lab, like definitely there are some founders in there that are not taking care of themselves. And we've heard some things where we would walk out of those meetings and be like, we are not going to end up like that. Like we, we yeah. can't let that happen to us. Yeah, we were at some meetup and one guy was like, like, you guys are eventually going to stop hanging out with your friends. You're really not going to have time for your family. And we left there looking at each other and we're like, okay, that's not going to happen. We need that. You also just, like, you need that to be a better worker. You need those breaks. You can't go, go, go. That's just not productive. In And Millie knows this because she sees me all the time. But, like, in dealing with, like, actually fixing my hormone health while being in grad school, while trying to have this company, has been, like, the biggest lesson and teacher of really making the time for yourself and like separating work-life balance because you have to like as a founder there is always a million and one things that you could be doing or a student like you could always be doing something but like truly giving yourself the permission and taking the break to rest hang out with your friends have those social connections and maintain those relationships are just as important as anything else 100 percent and what would you guys say is the biggest hardship that you've experienced being founders and the biggest reward I will start with the reward. (laughs) She's starting with the positive before she just goes on the night. Which should we start with? The positive or the hardship? I don't know. You guys can offset. Maybe like you'll start with the positive. She'll start with her negative and you can switch. Okay. So I had this amazing moment where like I was talking to my therapist actually and she was like, because whole imposter syndrome thing, you know, the question of what is success to you and- I hate when my therapist asked me that question. I'm like, I don't know. It's a loaded question. It's very loaded. And I was like, eventually we got to success to us is when somebody we don't know and by no degrees of association yes. purchases our product. Yes. And that happened sometime before launch, I think. So spring. And I was just like, this is amazing. How did they find us? I want to know everything about them. And, you know, lucky for us, like through these NYU programs, we were able to do like 100 customer discovery interviews, asking people with PCOS and endo and, you know. That's so cool. Yeah. And and really learning about them. That was amazing. But now someone who we don't know, who, you know, has a hormonal disorder that we're actually helping, like, I guess the idea, I'm an Aquarius, clearly, um, like that I'm making a difference in someone's life that doesn't know me is just like the biggest reward and seeing the reviews come through I wear a levels continuous glucose monitor and it keeps it stable or people will tag us and post us like their continuous glucose monitor data and tag us and it's just like oh my gosh in real time we get to see how people are reacting to our product like and how people's bodies despite all of our bodies being so different like Mm -hmm. being able to kind of see that in real time is just like the most exciting thing ever the science nerd in me is freaking out for you yeah (laughs) Yeah. um okay well while we're on the high i'll continue on that high this is a little more like i guess in maine but we've been able to go to some health and wellness events and at one i am a huge follower of levels and Mm -hmm. we met dr casey means and i was like on top of the world she's one of the founders (laughs) And we gave her bars and she posted them and she posted it like right away. And we stepped out of the event, got the notifications and I like almost started crying. It was just so crazy because I've just been following her and it was so cool. No one else is going to know who this is, but uh, Rob Deerdeck, mm-hmm. I like he's been my idol for the last 12 years, weirdly. And we just got an email that we were nominated as finalists for a competition in which he is speaking at. 
And he's also one of the brands he's working on is presenting. So that has been a selfish reward. It's just been cool being able to be in the space of people you look up to. But it's also like not even selfish in a way because you're taking the time, energy, effort to do the work. And like that is some of the coolest parts about being a founder that no one talks about enough is truly like the connections that you get to make, the experiences that you get to have because of it, the people you get to connect with, like all of these things. And when it's people that you look up to like long term, Mm -hmm. those are some of the most fulfilling moments. Yeah just in your own personal journey as just like a a human being yes helping people amazing great we love that (laughs) i feel like that is the reason i do health and body and do this podcast is because that fulfills me but then also like getting a dm from someone you look up to so much who's inspired you to do your company and do your work like there's nothing like that feeling either and through that we've been able to touch point with people who also follow dr casey for their own health reasons and have since purchased and again just like full circle recognize the power of the bar bar. (laughs) and yeah helping people at the end of the day is just what we're here for yeah so negatives yeah hit me (laughs) i'm ready okay so hear me out we are young women in a male-dominated industry we dtc it's a hard life. Uh, yeah. We deal with a lot of old men who don't take us seriously, especially when we're talking about hormone health. So that's definitely In been... In terms of like investment space and like finance. Investment, production, meetings, production. <laughs> cough, um, cough. Production. So yeah, being a young woman is we probably one of skin. the hardest things. Yeah, I mean, I want to double down, I guess, on that one. Investing right now, it's not the best market. And so we're getting a lot of people say one of two things. It's like, we really like this. This is so cool, so great. But we, you know, we're not doing CPG right now because the market's down. And then we get, you know, these other... CBG is consumer packaged goods, Consumer right? packaged goods, okay. yes. And then we get the other answer, which is like, I don't understand what hormone health is, or I don't understand why people would care about hormone health, or isn't hormone health just for women? You know what I mean? So like yeah. a lot of just... We, of course, need to educate. And like we, we do like use our platform to educate people on the power of food and, mm-hmm. you know, what is hormone health and how everyone can benefit from better hormones and better blood sugar. Mm-hmm. And that's what holistic health really is. And it's just... For some older male white investors, it's, you know, we're not really hitting home with them. Um, and every conversation we've had with the woman has gone completely differently. Yeah. yeah, It's just the opposite. And so we tried to find some more women investors, but there are just fewer. I think that's maybe my, you know, negative. We had like one week where I was just like, I think I'm going to cry because I was like so sad that we just like couldn't get any investment. Um, Like the ball is now rolling a little faster, which is great. But yeah, I mean. But those hard moments are important to touch on because like I feel for you guys because there are moments when you're just like in the shit of it that you're like, why am I doing this? Is this even going to like work out? Or like you get a win, but then you kind of like slow down again. And then it's like, okay, when is the next high high coming? Because it it truly is like low lows. It yeah. is like unstable blood sugar. No, it These really highs is. and lows. <laughs> because you go like your high highs and then you'll get a low low and then you'll get a high or even high. But at the same time, like when you're in those low low periods, it's like, am I ever going to get back to being yeah. in a place? Whether that be like on social media, like it's views, content, like that's always something that's mm-hmm. shifting. And then on top of that, I can't even imagine with like sales and just month to month how that can change. And especially with everything that's going on right now within the economy and everything of that sort so yeah I'm you know maybe it's the optimist in me it is but (laughs) (laughs) I'm not like 
very worried about our sales as far as the economy goes. I think kind of people who like our product are the people who their health really, really matters to them. And, you know, they really care about what they put into their body and they care about where they're getting these products, like what kind of company that is. And I think we really fit into that and we're, we're really true to ourselves. And I think that's kind of what makes us who we are and that our customers will still continue to buy at the same rate um, because there's nothing else like us on the market right now. And I think lucky for you guys, people at the end of the day, like especially after COVID, there's so much more of an emphasis on like paying for proper healthcare and preventative healthcare at this point in time, which I can only hope that as we move further and further away from being in like closer to the pandemic times, that importance still stays true. And like the rise of hormone health, like all of these things coming to light, we can only mm-hmm. hope that that continues the momentum because it truly is like when you're working in the health sphere, like that is something that will never change that people will always want to invest into their health. Agreed. I mean, we talk a lot about being your own health advocate and how important it is to, you know, advocate for yourself. Even if your labs look normal, like my labs looked normal. And I, at the time, didn't really have the vocabulary to ask for what I needed. And, and luckily I got the answer that I needed to get. But for a lot of people, that's not the case. And normal labs does not mean optimal labs. It doesn't mean that Preach to that sister. The range is so big. And I'm working with a functional doctor now. And the range really shouldn't be that big. 0.6 is very different from 0.8. Oh, when I... So I went to go, like, literally two weeks ago. Like, she saw that I had, like, a full-on mental breakdown because I went to go see my PCP and she did my blood work. And everything came out normal on my blood work. Then my hemoglobin A1C literally had gone up 0.9% almost and was right about to be at the range of pre-diabetes. It was like 0.2% away from that. And I was like, this is not normal. Like, are you going to wait until I get to pre-diabetes at this point to tell me that it's not normal? And like, had it not been for at least being an educated consumer at this point and working in this industry that I could read my labs and see that. But if you're a regular person just looking at labs and truly going off of what a doctor is saying, it is so hard not to be frustrated with the system. Yes, that's kind of what happened with me. You know, like you said, it took me five years to get to a point where not only did I feel better, but I knew better. Like people shouldn't have to become experts to heal their bodies. Like Especially our, when you're paying doctors to do this. That's their right. job. But it's yeah. also the brands. Like I think that there's a big responsibility for brands to do better and learn better. Like 100%. I know I said, you know, I hope they don't know that they're, you know, packaging and materials that are disruptive, but they just need to know. It, yeah. It's their job to know. It's their it responsibility is. when they're you're actually feeding people and you're giving them fuel, and that's what food should be. It should make you feel good. It should fuel you. And it, it shouldn't contain any of those things. We shouldn't have to be scared of the food that we eat. And lastly, like you're with your body 24-7. Like that is you. You know when something's off. A doctor's with you for maybe 10 minutes. And blood work, again, like it's so big, the range. So yeah, you just really have to advocate for yourself and you truly only know when you don't feel well. I also think so many people are used to not feeling well that once they do start to feel better, they don't realize how bad they felt. So I've been on like a cleanse and like really taking my diet like really seriously on top of like all the other things I've been doing now, which it's also hard too because if you have a history of disordered eating patterns, when you're told that the only thing that you can do is go on like a restrictive diet or like limit things in that respect, 
it was mentally so hard for me to get over the block of buying into that even though like you know it would make you feel better like now that I've done it I'm like oh my god I feel like a new person but at the same time like getting over that mental barrier of like okay but what if it gets to the point where it's like not healthy again then like that buy-in is really hard to go through and get into I think that it's natural to want instant gratification. It's natural to say, give me a pill, make it stop, fix it. Yeah. But it's like Emily said, it's a, it's a band-aid fix. You know, it's not going to heal the root cause. And you mentioned preventative healthcare earlier. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, got to mention that. I really think that that is the future of medicine. It's let's not get to the point where, you know, this amount of people have hormonal disorders. Let's, yeah. let's try preventing it. Let's try doing things like just changing the kinds of foods we eat or purchasing products that are conscious of that stuff yeah. instead of waiting till the moment where all of that stuff amasses into a much bigger problem. Yeah. With preventative healthcare, I think it's, yes, that's where the future is going, but there's a, so much politics that comes yeah. into like pharmaceutical companies and all of that being a player into all of this most providers that you go to that is functional medicine or integrative medicine or all of these things they don't take insurance for the most part so it's so expensive or like they're just in the minority right now which is unfortunate and it's like finding the proper doctor is like more of a headache than anything else nowadays which is so crazy because it's truly finding a provider that will listen to you like it's so crazy to me how hard it is to find someone that will like take what you're saying at face value yes I actually have a good resource for this. I think it's still in her like uh, link in bio. It's a influencer that we love and she only works with brands that she really supports. Um, her handle is PCOS Support Girl. And I'm almost positive she has a link in her bio that is a list of doctors that have been vetted by the PCOS community. So basically Ooh, by referral and review from people who have PCOS. I definitely would recommend consulting that list if you're looking for like a yeah. doctor that specializes in PCOS care and is up to date on the latest things. Cause I think being up to date on the latest research around PCOS is maybe the most important part because you know, I think of my dad and he's a great person and he knows a lot of PCOS now because of me. But you know, before that he was like, we only know, you know what we're seeing in the latest medical journals. And that's of course gonna point to, you know the different studies that have been done on the different medications that are most like people are giving out, doctors are giving out, when really we're not looking at the community and what the community is talking about and what people are eating and what people are recommending. You know, it's not talking about things like inositol. It's talking about things like metformin. Yeah. You know what I mean? Inositol, berberine. Berberine. Love berberine. That's what I take every day. Yeah. Great product. Oh, I used to take, I don't take it anymore because I'm on the Theralogics um, Mm -hmm. inositol, like myocryo blend, which Mm -hmm. I definitely recommend. It has no additives. Of course, if you don't have insulin resistant PCOS, consult your doctor. Yeah. Figure out what kind of PCOS you have. This is not medical advice. Not medical advice. Talk to your doctor. Um, But I was on the berberine cinnamon complex and Mm. really loved it. I think that cinnamon and berberine are amazing combo. But again, yes, consult your doctor. Learn your body. It's okay to try a few things, but always make sure your doctor and your labs are aligned with those things. Yeah. So my final question for you guys to wrap this up, what are three tools each of you can tell me in your founder toolbox for your physical and mental health? Like three things you can't live without, your non-negotiables. Therapy. Oh my God, yeah, therapy. Okay, for so therapy sure. is number one <laughs> for the both of you. breaks sometimes. Taking breaks. Lab. Oh yeah, we, we take breaks, we get our walk-in, our vitamin D, breakfast. <laughs> a bar a day. <laughs> a bar. Yeah. No, but honestly, breakfast. 
helps you get through the day. But you do you know how many people don't eat breakfast and just drink coffee? Like, yeah. that's a big thing. Oh, that's makes your blood sugar like crazy as well. Yeah. Yeah. First thing in the morning, coffee also can mess with your cortisol. Some people have really naturally stable cortisol. And so, I, again, I'm not going to say this is everybody, but for most women with PCOS, it is good to eat something with your coffee and mm-hmm. something high in healthy fats. We love fats. But I also think fats. another thing in our like no, little... we have six. It's fine. Oh, we have six? Between two of us. <laughs> yeah. So we have... You're so right. We so have right. therapy, mm-hmm. walks, breakfast. We need three more. Okay. Well, I was going to say like daily check-ins. Yeah. Making okay. sure that we're on the same page and we know what our next steps are. You know, what worked today, what didn't work, and like how are we as a team? I think like as a founder... Is it just you two or is there more mm-hmm. in your team? We, we just hired an intern. So oh. we now have an intern. So excited. Literally, it's our, our guess, our first hire. So yeah. hiring is, is such an interesting process oh and God, we're, so, we're so happy to have some help. It's yeah. it's pretty crazy having just been the two of us for so long. Yeah, Bringing somebody else in. I mean, she's awesome. Anna, if you're listening, hi. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And what's your view on exercise now? Like how are you with exercise? Oh my God, I have so many thoughts on this. Yeah. I've always loved exercise. I definitely think that's part of my toolbox, making sure to get some movement in, whether it's just a walk or I love dance workouts. I'm obsessed. They bring me so much joy. Yeah, if you go on my TikTok, I like review dance workouts. Wait, I love that. I'm going to (laughs) totally check that out. It's so fun. Like I'm obsessed with dance workouts. They bring me so much joy. So I think... My, my specific routine, I guess, doesn't matter so much, but what does matter is finding something you love. And I think there's so much information out there about what is best for women with PCOS or how to cycle sync your workouts. And that's never worked for me. If I wake up in my, you know, menstrual phase and I don't want to do yoga, that's okay. Like, I I totally think you got to just follow your joy when it comes to working out, do the thing that you want to do, or else you're going to cultivate like resentment towards that workout I also did mention weightlifting before so I will say I love weightlifting I love the idea that like I can climb up a mountain if I needed to not that I'll ever need to like still lift often yeah I lift around three times a week okay I probably dance around two times a week and then I walk over the Williamsburg Bridge because I live pretty close to the entrance to the Williamsburg side Uh I walk over the Williamsburg Bridge like twice a week as well okay love that some days I don't do anything though. And I think that plays into my mentality around health and fitness really shifted um, since starting this business. I'm so much kinder to myself and I don't beat myself up if I didn't work out or if I didn't reach a certain PR on my lifts mm-hmm. or if I didn't hit my protein, which always happens. So I, yeah, I'm, I'm much kinder to myself when it comes to those things. And that's really helped me with what used to be my binge eating problem. Mm-hmm. I'm just so much better about being like, okay, I want one cookie right now or I want two cookies right now and that's okay. Yeah. Um, and it's it's totally fine to have that. And now that I have all this knowledge about nutrition, I'm like, okay, well, since I'm going to have these cookies, I'm also going to have a hard-boiled egg and some carrots and hummus with some olive oil on it. And then that will help balance my blood sugar. And I know that I can add rather than subtract in order to keep my hormones happy. We love that. A question for the both of you to close this out. While you were dealing with your hormone imbalance, what was your relationship with like physical activity like? Like, were you in a stage when you were really like at the lowest of lows or going through that process to get to the highs? Were you overworking out? Were you not working out at all? Like, once you really started on that journey, like, did you take a break? What were you doing? Um, I was definitely overworking out. Last year, I was also a waitress five days a week. So I was literally on my feet the whole entire day. 
and I would come home hurting. Like, my body would hurt, and then I would eat dinner and force myself to go on a walk, and then I broke my foot, and it was simply a sign from the universe that I was doing too much. Like, that, I know for a fact that that was not a coincidence. So through that, just, I've been really working on respecting my body and respecting my boundaries, but I am prone to overdoing it. I'm definitely in the band camp where more is better, where that is very much not the case, and I know that that's not true, but I just have a hard time acknowledging that for myself and taking that break but I used to work out seven days a week we're down to five which is honestly a big deal kind of proud of it um because you do need those breaks your body does need to recover and you can't just always go 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 you need those breaks I had a very low low in my sophomore year I was dealing with a lot of mental health problems and the kind of diet I had was really bad blood sugar health. I was all over the place, which led to some mood swings, um, which is a symptom of hormonal problems. And I never had those before. I was like convinced there was something else at play. I was literally me typing up, am I bipolar? Like stop. Yes. (laughs) Yes. On Google because you don't know what's going on. Yeah, Yeah. I was like, there must be something like clearly wrong with me. Maybe there's a chemical imbalance. I was, like I said, working out more than ever in that time and just like desperate to lose weight. Um, And I ended up, I did end up losing a little bit of weight. I was working out every single day in the school gym and I was never really the type to weigh myself. I didn't have like a scale in my home, my family home. And so being at school, there's a scale in the bathroom and I was always like obsessively weighing myself. And the kind of workouts I was doing at the time were, had this app that was like a circuit kind of, it's a hit workout. It was a circuit uh, and it was seven minutes long and I would do it twice. And then I also would do hill sprints. And hill sprints are horrible, but they're great for like rapid fat loss, that they're not necessarily healthy when you have cortisol problems. And clearly I was having some deep cortisol blood sugar issues. While I did end up reaching my goal, like I just remember my like cheeks looked like so inflamed and so like acneic. And I just like, again, look back at these pictures and even though I weigh less, I look worse. I look so sad and like feel so bad for that person. And you know, I I even look swollen in a lot of ways. So I, I, I truly feel like, you know that quote that like, I think it's an Audrey Hepburn quote. It's like, happy girls are the prettiest girls. I really, really feel that. Like when you said like, Emily, you're glowing. Like I, I truly feel like it's a glow. It's, it definitely comes with, with that. And so that was my low. I told you I worked at a gym. So I, I started working out at Orange Theory during my shifts, which was like three or four days a week. And that was definitely probably not the best move. I'm competitive with myself when I work out. So I was like, I'm going to run super fast when I could have just walked, you know, and that would have actually been a great workout for PCOS with, you know, the way that Orange Theory works is there is a running section, a floor weighted section and a rowing section, which if you pace yourself well and you know your body and maybe you don't hill sprint um, for the whole 15 minutes like I would do. It actually is a pretty great workout for hormone health, you know, and it works very full body, but you can't let yourself listen to the coaches in your ear. Like berries is also, that's a problem there where they might come up to your treadmill and push you up higher for your um, speed. So you just got to listen to your body. And I think I didn't understand that. And I thought that burning more calories is the best, more sweating. Yeah. And I don't think you should feel like you're dying when you leave a workout class. I think fitness classes are so hard when Mm -hmm. you're going through hormonal health or going through any health issues because you do have the coaches in your ear being like, okay, well, like, why don't you do this? Or like, why don't you try this? Yeah. Like, even at yoga, like, I have a lot of pelvic floor stuff and issues in that respect. I'm really tight hips. And so one class, I just like, 
was not feeling it and like having a yoga instructor like come up to me and be like well why don't you try this position and like this and that and I'm like well I can't do that and like having to stick up for yourself in that respect it's like awkward but also just goes to show that you really are your only advocate and it doesn't matter what room you're in like that you always have to have that on I also did a cycling class yesterday, which I have never done. And I got an email at the end or like an hour later and I didn't ask for this. This is what they do. Oh no. <laughs> it gave me my ranking in the class. I was 14 out of 17. I was like, I didn't need to know this. I don't want to know this. Rude. Like this is my first time. And it's just like. It's like all supposed to be motivating factors, but at a certain point, like. Yeah, now I have that stuck in my head. It said, like, you burn 294 calories. Like, okay, well, what's everyone else doing if I'm 14 out of 17? So now I'm just in my head. So, yeah, cycle bar, please don't do that. (laughs) I also think, like, this kind of, like, competitive fitness thing for people who are not competing is toxic, in my opinion. And I just, I caught myself the other day, like, somebody was talking about running. I'm not a runner, but I have this, like, weird urge to run a half marathon for no other reason than I just, like, want to, like, say I did it. You know, but I saw somebody who was training and I was like, inspiration, like fitspiration. And I was like, that whole term, like fitspo, fitspiration, it's like, that's not the mentality I want. So I caught myself from doing that um, and kind of being like, I don't know, I, I can't really form this into words. I haven't really thought through this thought, but like inspiring fitness. I'm like, or like people who have um, set their background photos to their goal body. I don't know. I think that there's definitely something to unpack there that I, that I might not have the words for. Real quick on that, there's a great book. It's shout out Amanda Montel, love you, girly. There's a book called Cultish, and there's a section of the book that goes into these workout classes and like the girl boss mentality and how it's kind of a cult thought. It's very interesting. Highly recommend. Like we we talk about listening to your body, and like even these instructors often say like listen to your body. What's your body saying? And like my body's saying I'm gonna go slow. And like you know I again I don't think there's one way to work out for PCOS. I don't think there's one way to work out for your hormones. I just think it's the way that you feel and like listening to your body and really feeling good. And I think that's how you really tell like when you have your optimal health or hormone health or where you wanna be or where your body wants to be. It's okay not to look like you looked when you were a child. Like that's okay. Like it's totally fine. Like we're always growing and changing and like it's important to, to feel good. Number I think one. there's an aspect there too if you've grown up an athlete it's like embedded in you to be competitive especially in the fitness space so when you grow out of being an athlete and you're just like in the real world that like encompasses that being in workout classes and having that competitive nature and competitive drive but at the end of the day it really is about teaching yourself it's nature versus nurture like you're not trying what's going to nurture my body versus like harm it for the goal of winning something that's not even a race at the end of the day yeah life is not a competition like it's all about you I mean and and that sounds a little weird but like it is all about you like you're the most important person in your life like you have to take care of yourself and you have to like if you're the most important person in your life that's where self-love comes in like really loving yourself and being able to take care of yourself and focus on you is so important and it's not selfish it's it's actually like the most selfless thing you can do and cheers to that 
As always, thank you guys for listening. And if you want to explore any other science-backed topics on the podcast, we are on Spotify Podcasts and Apple Podcasts. If you want to read anything else about this topic specifically, you can go to our blog at www.healthandbody.com. And for our socials on Instagram, you can find us at BTW by Emily and at Health and Body. And on TikTok and Pinterest, you can find us at, at Health and Body. As always, we hope you learned something new and got to sharpen your life toolbox.